Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in L.A. And today we talk to the young star of an independent movie that's set in our beloved decade. It's our interview with Graham Fisher, who plays Davy Armstrong, a conspiracy theory-loving teen in the movie Summer of 84. If I've learned anything, it's that people hardly ever let you know who they really are. Inside any house, anything could be happening and you'd never know. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app. Don't forget to listen to our podcast at the CLNS Media website. You can find it at ta-da, clnsmedia.com. And as always, if you love the show, share the links on social media. Let's be nerds together in 2018. Woohoo! There's a serial killer on the What else could possibly be this exciting? So, Steve, summer of 84, it's the perfect time to be 15 years old. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah. It's great. Perfect time to be 15 years old and carefree. But when neighborhood conspiracy theorist Davey Armstrong begins to suspect his police officer neighbor might be the serial killer that's all over the local news, he and his three best friends begin an investigation that soon turns dangerous. The movie Summer of 84 debuted at Sundance this year in the midnight category, which houses movies from horror to comedy to works that defy genre classification. And they're supposed to keep <laughs> you wide awake, even at the most arduous hour. Uh, yeah, but, it did that very much for me. I, I had nightmares last night. Not to be a lot of pressure to put on a movie. <laughs> it is. I believe uh, Summer of 84 will be seen in select theaters on August 10th. With a uh, video on demand and on digital platforms, August 24th. Brad and I got a chance to watch it this week. Brad also had the amazing chance to interview the star, Graham, for sure. And so we're going to share that with you now. And then we will uh, come back afterwards and tell you what we thought of the movie. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Graham, for sure. Hey, Graham. Thanks for taking some time today to chat with me about Summer of 84. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So hey, I watched the movie this week, and I got to say, I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so what did you do to prepare for the role of Davy Armstrong, this kid who very much embodies the summer of 1984? I say this a lot, but naturally, I wasn't born before 1984, so I had no idea what it was like in that time period. So... Sure. What we did what we did was we went back and we watched all of the the classic 80s movies like Goonies and Stand by Me that have that same vibe that we really wanted to get okay. in Summer of 84. Were there ones that you liked? Were there ones that you connected with more than others? I'm not sure. I I have to say I really did genuinely enjoy the movies when I watched them like most of them really. Um some of them were pretty different like comparing Again, Stand By Me to Goonies, 
Goonies is a lot, sure. a lot more kid friendly. Um, but still, I, I, I loved watching them both. Stand by me has a body count, which the Goonies yeah. can't really lay claim to. Were there any like TV or music or any other any other eighty stuff that you were listening to or, or exposing yourself to to get ready for that? I have to admit, I've been listening to eighties music since I was like six years old, just because that's what my parents listen to all the time. So yeah, honestly, music and movies—that's what we watched and listened to. Okay, well now I have to ask because my kids will say the same thing. What are your favorite eighties bands? Oh God! Oh no! Um. Queen is 80s, right? Queen would be in the 80s, maybe a bit Absolutely. earlier? Absolutely. Queen started in the 70s, but they were strong in right. the 80s. Right. You know what? I'm going to go with Queen then. That's a good answer. Good answer. <laughs> Graham, the interview will continue based on that answer. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so w- were there things about kind of playing an 80s era teenager's life that you found surprising? Was there anything about that that you hadn't expected? I didn't realize that walkie-talkies were like really a thing. <laughs> Um, I used to, I've used a walkie talkie like twice in my childhood. And then in the movie, that's like the only way how they communicate, which I thought was pretty funny. Just like what the kids do when they're bored. Like nowadays I would probably play video games with my friends, but these guys actually go out and play manhunt at midnight. Yeah, it was a different time. That is for sure. So another thing that kind of occurred to me is your on-screen parents, uh, Jason Gray Stanford and Shauna Johannesson. I know Jason grew up at least somewhat in the 80s. Did he have any any tips or did he help you kind of get the vibe for what it was like to be a kid in the 80s? Oh, man. I, I wish I talked to Jason more about that. Um, but a lot of those scenes that we had together weren't really the ones that... Well, I mean, all of the scenes. I mean, like the 80s, but like... Sure. <laughs> not the ones with all of the same toys that he might have grown up with. Yeah. But I, I wish I could have asked him more about it. So what's your take on the kind of inevitable Stranger Things, it comparisons to this? I I feel like it's a a different enough piece of material, but I'd love to hear kind of what your take on it is. I mean, obviously, they're both from the 80s and they're both playing off the nostalgia. But I might be wrong about this, but I think Summer of 84, like the script was actually written a while before Stranger Things came out. So it wasn't a direct copy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But even if it wasn't... I think one of the main difference is is Stranger Things has that supernatural aspect. Yeah. And Summer of 84 is a lot more grounded and set in reality. And that's what's scary about it is that that's actually what could have happened. Yeah. That, that's what I, I when I finished watching it uh, the other night, I turned to my wife and I said, yeah, this is real because people are the real monsters in this world. You don't need a supernatural element for that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what was it like? I mean, speaking of filming, what was it like working with a group of three directors? I mean, how did they work that so that they weren't stepping on each other's toes or stepping on your toes for that matter? Um, RKSS, I, it blows me away how well they work together because they've been doing this for like decades now. They started off, I think, doing short films and music videos, but they've been working together for longer than I've been alive. And they work together so flawlessly. Like, I mostly interacted with Yoan because he sort of deals with the actors. Okay. And then um, Anouk and Francois, they have their own little parts that that they work on. And everything gets done and everything... I mean, they made they made the movie the way, the, the way it is. So they... Them working together, I don't know how they do it so well, but they do. 
Yeah, it's a pretty unusual setup. I was trying to think of a case where I could think of a, a film that had two, even two directors. And, you know, I would think they would have to have their roles pretty carefully lined up or else it just wouldn't, it wouldn't go. Are there scenes in the movie that you're really proud of? Or do you have any moments on set that stand out as like kind of favorite memories? I'm not sure. I, I have to say, I think all of the treehouse scenes were the first two days on set. Um, well, the four boys, they totally just threw us in a room together and it was boiling hot, but we filmed <laughs> all of the treehouse scenes in the first two days. So we really had to get to know each other quickly. And there were some really, really funny stuff that happens like Judah and Caleb, um, or Eats and Woody. Mm-hmm. They improvised so much together and it was, it's not a high budget movie. So we didn't really have a lot of room for extra takes, but they were doing so much funny stuff. They said, like, okay, you know what? Let's do one serious take. And then after that, you guys are just going to go on for as long as you can. And it was so hard not to break character and just break down laughing. Yeah. <laughs> the, the four of you seem to have really good chemistry on set. And I can see, you know, how that would be born out of stuff like that. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I think there are some scenes that made it into the movie in the treehouse where you can actually see me trying not to laugh. <laughs> Well, now I'm going to have to go back and watch it again. So did you have a sense that this script was based on any kind of, of, of experiences that the writers had with the, the emergence of press, if you will, on serial killers? And I mean, that does kind of seem to be an 80s phenomenon, as embarrassed as I am to say that about my decade. <laughs> again, obviously, I wasn't alive during the 80s. I never witnessed this, but I know one of the writers said on set that a lot of what inspired him to make the movie the way it was is because it was sort of the time when people started locking their doors at night. Okay. I think in 19, in the early eighties in his hometown, there was this crime spree of people breaking into houses at night. And he just remembered that feeling of sort of not really feeling safe going out at night, that shift happening. And he wanted to, I think he wanted to capture that in the movie. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I mean, I do remember people thinking that we were odd because we kept our our doors locked. That rings true. I know it's hard to believe in this day and age, yeah, but that does ring true. Thanks again, Graham, for coming on. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, good luck, and I hope the movie does well. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me. So, Steve, that was my somewhat brief conversation with young Graham Vasher, a nice guy. On his way to certain stardom. I I love his answer (laughs) about uh, favorite band being Queen and and then basically confessing that he's been, you know, immersed in the music of the 80s mainly because his parents are are our age his parents are doing the (laughs) lord's work that's all i can say you know making sure he doesn't doesn't miss an important part of his education yeah i thought he was great in this Uh, what did you think of the movie you know what i really enjoyed it i have to say when i saw i mean i did a little bit of research before i try not to find trying to avoid spoilers but i did a little research and i saw that a lot of sites were categorizing it as a horror movie and i'm like I I delayed watching it for a couple of days because of that because I'm not a horror guy. I don't like yeah. supernatural stuff. You know, obviously I've enjoyed Stranger Things, so I guess that plays against type. But I would not call it a horror movie. I would call it a suspense thriller movie. That, that's a that's a fair description. Um, the my first reaction when I saw it was 
this this it's, it seems so much like Stranger Things, and I mean that in the best possible way. Yeah. So I was really surprised when when you had told me that it, the script predates. I know uh, that I series. Know. Yeah, and I, it's funny because but, I think if Stranger Things had tanked, then this movie would be getting some of that backlash too. So I mean, there's like no, it's a no win situation for them in a way because if it's if Stranger Things is successful, then they're going to be comp- like, well, you're just hopping on that bandwagon. And if it wasn't successful, then people are like, don't you know we don't like that? What's your problem? You know what I thought was really um, smart? The, the thing that I enjoyed and got the most smiles out of was they really, really you know, focused on, we're going to put in here as many little tiny 80s references as we can. So they could be reading a magazine and on the back page of the magazine, you'll see there's an advertisement for uh, the first Mac, you know, the Apple, the first yeah. Mac. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, this clue they find, you know, in the locked shed is an, is an old MTV t-shirt or... Yeah. Did you notice in the bowling alley, they had a, a poly bias video game console that had an out of order sticker on it? Do you know the story behind no, that? I don't know the story behind that. That's an urban legend video game that supposedly showed up in Portland in the early 80s in the Portland, Oregon area and was supposed to be like completely addictive and people were lined up out the door to play it and people were showing up (laughs) like, like, you know, guys in black cars were showing up and downloading usage information from it. And it's just, it it was a nice little touch. The conspiracy theory kind of angle of the story that plugged right into it. It was a great little. Just a little note there. Yeah, there, there's a nice, a lot of nice, nice little touches in this. That if you're a fan of the '80s, and of course you are, if you're listening, if, you've been, if you're yeah. still listening to this episode, you're going to see them. You're going to spot things that Brad and I didn't even see. And yeah, you're, and you'll enjoy it on that level alone. But on, but on top of that, it's it's a nice story. Grand does a great job as the lead. Um, there's a lot of faces in there that you might say, I think I know who that is. I've yeah. seen that person before. I mean, every, everyone's got a few acting credits. Right. So it's it's a legitimate cast. It's a, it's a fun movie. And I'm glad it's out there. I mean, it's more momentum for the 80s revival. And that's that means everything to me. Yeah. I, I will say I liked how there was a point in the movie, without giving anything too much away, I think, there's a point in the movie where... Yeah, you don't you know, want to do that. <laughs> you know, you and your posse of friends, like if one of your friends asks you to do something when, at that age, you pretty much do it. Like if they lean on you a little bit, you're like, okay, I see this is important to you. But there's a point in the movie where he's asking them to do stuff and I'm like, this is ridiculous. At some point, you say, no, that's... You know, I call bullshit. I'm not doing that anymore. And as if on, <laughs> on cue, his friends are like... Stop being ridiculous. We're out. I'm like, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Very well done. I really like the soundtrack to this, too. I don't know if you noticed it. Very synthwave. Yes. It reminded me of Tangerine Dream and Risky Business. Yes. Yes, Exactly. And I I felt like it just suited it just perfectly. There are places where I'm like, you know, you take the music out of this and it's just a dumb scene. Yeah. Yeah. But with the music in it, it just – it really sets the mood. I kept waiting for someone to say, Joel – Get off the babysitter. <laughs> but it just didn't happen. There was a babysitter in the movie, but uh There was a babysitter. Last we will we're not gonna talk about that and ruin it for you. It's uh Summer of 84, definitely worth watching. Um if you don't catch it during its limited release, at least look for it on video on demand. Gets two thumbs up from the Stuck in the Eighties guys. Speaking of thumbs up, support for Stuck in the Eighties this week comes from HelloFresh, our favorite meal kit delivery service because they shop, plan, and deliver step-by-step recipes. <gasps> And pre-measured ingredients to our doors each week. Yes, Brad and I are both loyal and happy customers, and we have been ever since HelloFresh partnered up with us. Here's why I love it, Spearsy. 
Family dinners are a breeze now because HelloFresh has kid-tested and approved family plan recipes. And I love it because after driving three hours round trip to work each day, I know I have a fresh meal waiting for me that will only take between 20 and 30 minutes to prepare. Tonight, I feasted on the chicken pineapple quesadillas, and I have plenty left over to bring in for lunch tomorrow. That sounds good. I got to tell you, I'm loving the Global Eats options because they're teaching me to make some really awesome international dishes. Tomorrow night, I'm making the Hawaiian chicken poke bowls for the family. Nice. Nice. I should have gotten that one. But that's the cool thing about HelloFresh. You choose your own meals from a lot of amazing options. You do it online. So you never really miss out. Every week, the the makings for my meal arrive at my front door in a recyclable box, and the food inside is fresh and cold, even in Florida, thanks to ice packs and some amazing insulated packaging. Yeah, and you adjust your account online using the easiest website you can imagine. You just choose your delivery date. You want them on Tuesdays, they show up on Tuesdays. If you need to take a week or two off, no big deal. Click the button that says skip a week and you're all set. And because you're a listener at Stuck in the 80s, you get a brand new special deal starting this week. For a total of $60 off, that's $20 off your first three boxes. Visit HelloFresh.com slash Radical60 to get started and then use the promo code Radical60 when ordering. That's HelloFresh.com slash Radical60 to get started and then use the promo code Radical60 when you order. You'll be doing yourself and your family a big radical favor and you'll be doing a solid for the podcast too. You know what else is a solid win for the podcast this week? The The Seggies. Ah, the familiar refrain of uh, listener mailbag. Got a letter this week from. Can I be saying this right? Is it from Baltimore? Baltimore. Paul from Baltimore. So he says, "Call me Baltimore." Okay. It's okay. no Ishmael, it like but a... maybe it'll catch on. I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead. I need a break. That is the only literary reference you're getting this week, folks. Paul writes. Hello, Stephen Brad. Long-time listener, first-time caller. My name is Paul, and I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, so you can call me Baltimore. See, I didn't make that one up. For once in my life, I didn't make it up. Okay, he continues. As I've listened to the last few episodes, I've had a dawning realization. I've been listening to Stuck in the 80s for a damn long time, and other than a few times I popped up on the blog to defend my beloved Midnight Oil, I've never really reached out to you guys. I mostly listen to podcasts during my drive to and from work, so sitting down to type out an email while listening isn't something that would often happen, but I've been wanting to write for ages. I started listening back in 2007. I looked it up. I remember stumbling upon the podcast while searching for information about some kind of wonderful, the best John Hughes movie, by the way. Mm, We could talk about that later, Baltimore. And it so happens that that was your most recent episode. I've been a loyal listener ever since. There was a period of time when I got divorced and my life sort of turned upside down and I didn't listen for many months. Lo and behold, the newest episode when I returned to the podcast was Steve's infamous VGF breakup episode. It felt oddly perfect. Wonderful for you, Baltimore. (laughs) (laughs) Easy, easy. Okay, Steve, it's going to be fine. Just do your breathing exercises. Uh. (laughs) So anyway, I just wanted to drop a line to say, hey, Here's another longtime loyal listener, and just because I don't often write doesn't mean I'm not out here listening. But while I'm here, I figured I'd comment on a couple of recent topics of conversation. Number one, your recent revisit of the songs that started and ended the 80s got me thinking. There's one song that definitely marked the end of the 80s for me, and I'm not sure it was ever mentioned. Depeche Mode's Personal Jesus from 1989. 
What better death knell of the 80s could there be than the boys in black themselves, standard bearers for electronic music, hitting the airwaves with a huge electric guitar-driven rock single? That That's fair. That's actually a really good choice. Yeah, yeah. I always joke when I started taking the guitar that I'd already learned all the guitar parts of the first six Depeche Mode albums. Very few people got that joke. <laughs> I get that joke. That's great. Very few people got that joke. Ah, number two, he continues. Really, Brad? You don't remember Charles Grodin in The Great Muppet Caper? He's one of the highlights of that movie. Who else would have had the courage to play a character who falls in love with Miss Piggy and then totally play it straight? It's genius. Speaking of the Muppets, I'm not sure you've given them their due. Perhaps a Jim Henson in the 80s episode? The movies alone are a treasure trove. Besides Muppets Take Manhattan and The Great Muppet Caper, you've got The Dark Crystal, a personal favorite, and Labyrinth. Labyrinth! Surely you've covered Labyrinth, and i just forgotten somehow. At any rate, keep up what you're doing. There's a big part of me that will forever be stuck in the 80s, and I appreciate all that you do to keep it alive. Still stuck in the 80s, Baltimore. Huh. Okay. Couple thoughts here. Okay, let's. We 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 got some things to first unpack of all, here. First of all, you had to bring up VGF, didn't you? Um, you know, it's been like ten years since that happened. Ten years. Yeah. Ten years. And I, it is the the summer cold I cannot shake. It is that episode that we did, the breakup episode. Um, it's you know, it's like. It, it has a life of its own. and yeah. um, But VGF has gone on and gotten married to somebody. I know that for a fact. I'm not saying I'm a stalker, but I at least know that much for a fact. But, but information um, comes to your ears through various <laughs> means. Yeah, sure. And it's funny you mentioned Labyrinth because um, I went and I bought a copy of Labyrinth um, when she and I <laughs> were dating because I thought, surely this is a movie she's into and, and we would um, – to a great podcast on it. And she was like, Oh, you bought that piece of crap. I, I don't see how you can even watch it. It's so childish. And blah, 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 blah. I just went on and on and on. Wow. And I was just like, Oh my God. So anyway, did you tell so, her to save it for the show? <laughs> this, the show should never be on. So Baltimore's right. We should actually do a, an episode on labyrinth. Uh, I, I'm sure I have that DVD stuck somewhere in a box somewhere around here. And we'll find it. So I will say that when I think of labyrinth, now I think of the, um, cruise director on the first cruise dressed as Dane. Yeah. Dane dressed as uh, the goblin King. God, that was yeah, spot yeah. On. I mean, it was really well executed of all his costumes. That was the best one, but, but thanks Baltimore. It's, it's cool that you finally wrote in after 11 years and, and, you know, we appreciate, you know, you still listening and, and we love the feedback as always. We love all your letters. Just send them to podcast at SID com. Except for you, VGF. Don't send me any email, just like you have been doing. <laughs> Keep up the good work. <laughs> I will get over you. Please, please tell me now. Please, please tell me now. Ah, the mystical refrain that is, <laughs> please, please tell me now, 80s girlfriend. <laughs> The mystical refrain that is, please, please tell me now, Vegas girlfriend, why did you leave me 10 years ago? Uh, anyway, this is the segue where people oh my can goodness. write in. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through the rest of this without some professional help. Oh, it's two minutes. We've got t- two minutes left. I'm not going to bring her up again. 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, no one's ever asked me on the 80s cruise, like, oh, tell me the story of VGF again, which is, you know, I don't know if they're doing that because they don't know or they're, they're just doing it because they know that I'll. They're doing it because you're on vacation and they're madness. trying to cut you a break. <laughs> that and I've basically threatened <laughs> I to kneecap anybody who brings it up in your presence. I'm like, dude, I have to be there for Spearsy. I have it to really protect is. him from the foolishness. Is the listener questions. Yeah. <laughs> I still suspect highly that you're censoring some emails from one particular crazy ex-girlfriend, but I'm not going to get into that right now. I haven't seen a thing. I'm happy Uh, to report. Anyway, I think we have some point here where you're on a segi called PPTMN. So this is Please Please Tell Me Now where people – they used to write in more often with questions. We don't get them quite as often anymore. But um, please, please tell me now. We'll answer any question you have about the podcast or the 80s or our personal lives. Things that happened 10 years ago, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> things that are still happening today. <laughs> I just I just shot stuff out of my – I started – okay, never mind. Having some physical issues here. Um, you know when you get that sort of laugh cry thing going and then st- snot starts pouring out of your nose for oh, no reason? Oh, no. That well, just happened. Do you need to go get a Kleenex yeah. while I read this letter? No, no. I got this 80s in the sand shirt that works perfectly oh, for Kleenex. There you so, go. Uh, Perfect. So anyway, so re- <laughs> read the letter. Okay. Jumpin' Joe in mm. Michigan sends us this one. Hello, Steve and Brad. I'm working my way through the Stuck in the 80s archives and just heard Steve call crab cakes the, quote, bologna sandwich of seafood, end quote. This cracked me up, but it also made me think of a please, please tell me now idea. What is something from the 80s that was lame in comparison to the rest of the set? For example, was there an album or song or video that just didn't measure up in comparison to the rest of the band's catalog? I'm looking at you. The girl is mine from Thriller. See, now he's just writing this to me because everyone knows I hate that song. A movie in a series that was worse than the rest of the set? A film and a director, actor, actress's filmography that just doesn't compare to the rest of their work in the 80s? I'll stop explaining it now. So, gang, please, please tell me now. What is your bologna sandwich of the 80s? Forever stuck, jumping Joe in Michigan. Oh, geez, Honestly, that's I good. think my bologna sandwich of the '80s was a bologna sandwich. <laughs> I don't know. I have fond memories of bologna sandwiches. You like but, bologna um, boats and bologna boats. Yeah, people don't realize the taste factor involved in a bologna boat. When you Somehow, take a, I managed to get bologna. bologna boat in before you did. I knew you were going to say it. I had to rush it to get to it. <laughs> Bologna boat. You take a slice of bologna. I, I, it's been a while since I explained this, but I, I, think, I feel the need to do this. That's what I lived on in middle school lunch. A slice of bologna, a scoop of mashed potatoes, and then a, a strip of American cheese, and you put it in the oven. And so the bologna curls up, like forming what would seem to be a boat. Maybe I should teach this recipe to my children. They're about to move into their first apartments at college. Yes. So they don't starve and to in death. In a perfect world, a bologna boat would sail in an ocean of gravy. Oh, God. Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, well, there you go. There's their ship sound. We, that, was, that was not a ship sound. Should we answer Jumpin' yes. Joe's question? Yeah. You know, actually, it's funny because when, when I was rereading it, I started thinking of, of movies that don't fit in. Like, um, And I think Brad and I both came up with the same idea. Yeah. So we're, I think we're both going to take an actor in the 80s who had – Otherwise, a very stellar career, and but had one movie that just stood out as being a turd. Can I say turd? We don't bleep that. Do we, we wouldn't bleep that. No, our, our, guess, our, guess our audience can handle turd. <laughs> okay. So what, what's your pick? Matt? Okay, so let me just let me just give you a litany here: six pack, vacation, 
16 Candles, Breakfast Club, Weird Science, the youngest cast member ever on Saturday Night Live, and then Anthony Michael Hall turns out Johnny B. Good. The Lord wants you to put your foot on their balls and believe in it, because that's what wins football games. Not jumping off sides like a bunch of wimps and f- all right, lift your heads, boys. Prayer's over. I talked to God. I'm through talking to God. Now I'm talking to you. Oh. I, I, I paid money to see it. I'm sure you did, too. I did Because you thought he never made a bad movie. Really? I did not pay money I, to I know see it. I, I worked at the movie theaters. I go to the movies for free, brother. Okay. that's You're just pulling a technicality. Yes, I did pay in my hard-earned time, though, which, as we all know, this only can be spent once. Roger Ebert gave this movie one star, which was generous, I think. And I loved his, I loved some of what he wrote about it. If you if you'll indulge me, I'll I'll read from the book of Ebert as we often do on the show. He said, "Quote: The people who made this movie should be ashamed of themselves. There are a lot of good screenplays to be filmed, and only a limited amount of money to go around. This movie is simply financial leakage, a squandering of resources equivalent to polluting a river or plowing under a rainforest." I'm serious. We're desperate for things to think about in this society. And these guys contribute to the situation by providing us with 86 minutes of zip. They ought to have their pictures on the post office wall. End quote. <laughs> well, that's brutal. He really didn't like it. Brutal. It, it's just not a good movie. It's cliche to the cliche power. Touche. I will also pick an actor, but I'm going to tell you up front who it is. Bill Murray. Okay. Bill Murray had an amazing run. In the 80s. Yeah. Caddyshack. I mean, first of all, you go back to 1979 and you pick up uh, Meatballs if you want to. Because none of us really saw that until 1980 here in the States. We've been name-checking that movie all so summer we'll, long, too. We'll grandfather in Meatballs. Then we'll say Caddyshack, Stripes, Tootsie, Ghostbusters, Little Shop of Horror, Scrooged. And I'm sorry. Even Ghostbusters 2 isn't all that ridiculously <sighs> bad. It's pretty bad. But no, no, no. But... I'm, I'm leaving two out. Okay. One is a movie from 1984 called Nothing Lasts Forever, which was basically never really formally released. So I'm not going to really hmm. – you, you have to have like really you know, seen it on late night Turner Classic movies. Yeah, it's just no one saw it. Okay. Uh, the second one people have seen, that's called The Razor's Edge. I, I think we've talked about it before in the podcast. Yeah. I worked in a coal mine to come over here. A coal mine? What was the intention? I told you to make money to come over here. That was the reason. What was the intention? Because if work has no intention, it's not work at all. It's an empty motion. Well, what would you call washing dishes? For me, this is a religious experience. Let me try that. Yeah, I feel it. Kind of like being in church. Pass me the soap, will you, Bishop? (laughs) <laughs> it's basically a big screen adaptation of Somerset Mom's book. It's also a remake of the 1946 movie that st- starred uh, Tyrone Powers, I think. Okay. And Bill Murray only agreed to appear in Ghostbusters on the condition that the studio make this movie too. Huh. Okay. So he used uh, this as it, leverage. Right. It cost $12 million to make. It made half that back at oh, the box geez. office. That's a bad, <laughs> that's a bad box office. <laughs> And on the final day of principal uh, photography, Murray basically bailed and left to go begin filming Ghostbusters. So, Ooh. But yeah, if it comes on TV, I'll watch it every time. Because yeah. first of all, I love the author. I love the book. 
But let's face it, it was, and even even Bill Murray knows it was it was a misfire. And to quote our favorite movie critic Roger Ebert, he wrote, uh, he judged the movie as quote flawed, and called it too passive, too contained, too rich in self irony to really sweep us along in its quest. Hmm. So there we go. Is the book worth? He reading? also said that Murray, uh, of course, okay, all of, all of Sorset's books are worth reading. Uh, Roger said he placed the blame on Murray's shoulder, saying he, quote, plays the hero as if fate is a comedian and he is the straight man. And I'm telling you, if you've ever seen this movie, truer words have not been spoken. Hmm. That is like exactly to a T what is wrong with this movie. So Now I'm intrigued. <laughs> as always, uh, we love your questions. Just send them to podcast.sit80s.com. Put PPTMN in the subject line. Uh, We'll be right back after this commercial break. For danger, for excitement, for romance, there's only one man who does it all. Bond, James Bond. The Living Daylights, rated PG. Starts Friday, July 31st. And we're back. We have a few minutes left. Brad, you're going to be taking some time off soon because aren't your kids ready to go back to school? Yeah, I'm heading back east with the boy. When Well... as you listen to this podcast or when this podcast drops, I will be on the East Coast assembling IKEA furniture and teaching my son how to buy groceries. <laughs> you have to give them money. You can't just walk out with groceries? the food. <laughs> no, I'm sure he'll be fine. Oh, my God. Um, it's crazy. And then the girl. And she actually, Katie and she are heading up uh, to school that same weekend. They'll be uh, getting her set up in her apartment as she starts uh, fall practice early before school starts. So they're they're both out of the dorms now, and they're both going to make make go at it with apartment living. Yep, yep. That's that's where we're going. See, oh, back east, they only guarantee housing for your freshman year, and so most people move out. Yeah, and and I think with I with my daughter, same thing. She didn't want to be on campus her second year. I wish, in retrospect, I, I did the same thing in the eighties. I, I I stayed my freshman year on campus, and University of Florida had the same deal. You were only guaranteed. On campus housing for your first year. And then after that, you entered a lottery. Right. And I won the lottery to stay on campus for the second year. And I ended up joining a fraternity instead. And so I moved off campus to the fraternity house. Mm -hmm. In retrospect, I wish I'd kind of stayed on campus. That was more fun. Mm. But my grades also sucked. So (laughs) you take the good, you take the bad. Speaking of which, um, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention – the passing of actress Charlotte Ray this week. Uh. Um, she played Mrs. Garrett on Different Strokes and Facts of Life. She was 92 when she passed away. Um, is it terrible for me to say I was surprised to find she was still alive? 92 is an old age. The last time I saw her on screen, this is embarrassing to admit, it was in an Adam Sandler movie. Okay. Where he plays an Israeli agent. And he pretends to have sex with her. Oh, no. I hope it was pretend. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she was kind of funny in that. But, yeah, 92, that's a full life. And she obviously a big part of those two shows, and, and we'll miss her. So in the meantime, uh, special shout-out to our host, HelloFresh. Don't forget to go to www.hellofresh.com slash radical60 to get $60 off your first three boxes. And don't forget uh, summer of '84 heading to um, yeah. Look for it. Video on demand soon, right? Yeah, look for it. If you uh, you know if you're tired of watching all this crazy Tom Cruise mission whatever stuff, you know, go watch something <laughs> from the '80s. You know, enjoy yourself. 
Yeah. Because you, like the rest of us, Brad and I, we're all hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app.